Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Wow. What an episode. Uh, Hank Rogers. Okay, so look, the movie Tetris just came out on Apple Plus. This is the, the guy that the whole movie's about. Uh, founded Tetris, brought it, made it a worldwide phenomenon, and now he's saving the planet. I mean, if there's an hour of your time that you want to learn some amazingness and really get to interact with a game changer, this is the hour you got to spend. Everyone needs to listen to this. I am so pumped. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazi, and boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Hank Rogers, is in the house. Hank, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I'm so pumped for this episode. Uh, before we get started, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get going? Go for it. All right. So for listeners new to the new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those are creating greatness and doing so despite the odds. My man Hank here is neither short of passion nor greatness, and we're going to be getting into a lot of the greatness that he's created in the world. So I want to give a little bit of, of my backstory on, on Hank. Um, I am, uh, first of all, I live, I'm a native of Austin, and not native, I'm a transplant of Austin. Gosh, never said that before. I'm a transplant of Austin. I moved here about seven years ago, and I was uh, down at South by Southwest this year, and, and there's this massive, massive line of people like around the block like down out in Congress and I'm, and, and we're going to see a movie about these like kids in a mariachi band that my wife wants to see. And there wasn't much of a line for that one, but it was a cool, it was a great movie, great documentary nonetheless. And I see all these people and I keep seeing the word Tetris everywhere. I'm like, Oh cool. There's like, there's a movie about Tetris. Like I'm a kid. I look like, first of all, I'm Gen X. I'm born in 78. My birthday is tomorrow. I'll be 45 years old. And 
I grew up like, uh, uh, they, thank you, thank you. I'm telling you, I grew up like I was the first kid to get a Nintendo, like one, one of those things. Like I'm the generation where I was seven years old or eight years old when Nintendo came out. And I was like in fourth grade when the Game Boy came out and everyone's <laughs> playing Tetris. So like I'm a person where literally like it's a bullseye as far as the audience goes for this, for this movie that's going on South by. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Maybe I'll try to see that. End up not seeing it. But I get home. And and I looked at my inbox and and we got a, a, basically a request from a PR group to interview Hank Rogers, the creator and the founder of Tetris. And <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, this is like serendipity. So I uh, my son and I watched the movie, and I got to tell you, Hank, man, we love the movie. And I told my son, I said, you know what, I I I I think I can inter- have an interview with this guy. And so I hit your team up right right back away because it was happened right around the same time. And here we are, man. The world has conspired to get us together on the show to talk about all your amazingness. So welcome to the show, and thank you for all the cool things that you've put out in the world, and can't wait to talk all about those. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to give your formal bio really quickly, and then we'll get jumping into the show. So uh, for listeners who are maybe not familiar with Hank, Hank Rogers is an internationally renowned entrepreneur and video game developer, best known for serving as the producer of Tetris. I'm really excited to talk about that. The movie's a, a huge hit. So his story is subject of the new Apple TV Plus film, Tetris, that stars British actor Taron Egerton as Rogers, and he plays you. And you guys might know him from Blackbird or Rocketman. I mean, what badass actor. He's also the founder of Blue, Ener- uh, Blue Planet Energy, a global leader in renewable energy storage systems, and the founder of Blue Planet Alliance. So we're going to be talking about all these amazing things that Hank is putting out in the world and has put out in the world in the past. Um, but before we get there uh, to what you're working on right now, I'd love if you, you know, here at the Greatness Machine, we love origin stories. It's not, we know that people don't just snap their fingers and end up creating greatness. There's always kind of a, a you know, path to getting there. Uh, Hank, do you mind giving us a little bit of your origin story? Uh, a little bit. So um, I'm originally from the Netherlands. I moved to this country when I was 11 years old, um, learned English, uh, end up going to high school, junior high school and high school in New York City, um, Stuyvesant High School, if anybody knows where that is. It's uh, yeah. math and science high school. Um, <clears throat> my father moved the family to Japan. I ended up uh, on the way to Japan, spending a year in Hawaii on the beach, learning how to surf and dive. Uh, by the time the family moved to Japan, I, <clears throat> I was going to University of Hawaii, where I majored in computer science and I minored in Dungeons and Dragons. We had a group uh, we called nice. uh, ARG, the Alternative Recreational Realities Group of Hawaii. And we played Dun- Dungeons and Dragons and made up rules. Um, <clears throat> I went to university for three years, um, uh, skipped the whole bit about having to take core requirements because I didn't think I needed a, a, a diploma of any kind for anything that I was going to do in the future. Uh, chased a girl to Japan. Six years later, personal computers happened in Japan. And uh, so you could say I was a little bit naive about what, uh, you know, what computers at the time. Um, I wrote the first role playing game in Japan uh, called the Black Onyx. I wrote it. I created it in, in 1983. That's back when uh, one person could still create a game. I did all the graphics. I did all the programming. I did all the story. I did everything. And I started a publishing company all at the same time. Um, the game was the number one game in Japan in 1984, and I ended up with a publishing company. I wrote the first two games for the, for the company, and then I started traveling around the world looking for games to bring to Japan. And so 
Consumer Electronics Show 88, which is the beginning of the movie, um, I was there to actually uh, look for games to bring to Japan, and I found Tetris. That's where I found Tetris. Fell in love with the game. Well, there's a whole Tetris story, how I went to the Soviet Union. Uh, that's the movie. It's probably easier for you guys to, uh, to watch the movie than for me to tell that whole story. Uh, long story short, I went to the Soviet Union, got the Game Boy rights to Tetris. A month later, I was back in Moscow, got the console rights to Tetris with Arakawa and Howard Lincoln, the president and vice president of Nintendo. Uh, we became best friends, of course. Fast forward 1995, the, the rights revert to Alexei Pajitnov, the, the creator of Tetris. And uh, by that time, I'd made a deal with him to, uh, we, we had a partnership uh, to actually make money after 1995. Up till 1995, he could not receive money for Tetris. Wow. And, and uh, today, he's living comfortably in, uh, in Clyde Hill, <laughs> American citizen. He's all good. Um, fast forward again, 2002, uh, another big opportunity comes, uh, comes around. Uh, I had licensed Tetris to a Japanese company for mobile phones in Japan, for like a million dollars. And the biggest the biggest upfront guarantee I could get in the U.S. from a U.S. company was $25,000. Wow. There was a total disconnect about was, what was going to happen in the U.S. So I thought, this is an opportunity. I started a mobile phone game company of my own in Hawaii, uh, sold that company uh, three years later to the company that offered me $25,000 for well north of $100 million. So... Uh, I wow. sold that company, Blue Lava Wireless, and a month later, um, I had a, a, a heart attack, 100% blockage of the Widowmaker. And um, in the ambulance, I said to myself, no, I'm not going. I still have stuff to do. This was after I said, you got to be kidding me. I haven't spent any of the money yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, man. Uh, I spent the next two weeks looking for my missions in life, and uh, that's what I'm doing now is I'm totally working on my missions. I love it, man. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna go back a little bit uh, because there's so much there to unpack. And then and then we can get to uh, this kind of pivot moment, this like, you know, do or die moment. Um, so first of all, you had said when you were in, in university um, that you you like dropped out, I guess, right? No diploma. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, after <laughs> after three years, they called me in and they said, Mr. Rogers, what, what what's going on? I said, what do you mean? So, well, you haven't taken any of your core requirements. And I said, well, I've already been to high school. And <laughs> I said, well, if you don't take your core requirements, you're not going to graduate. And I said, there must be some mistake. I'm not here to graduate. I'm here to get an education. And I've already got it. Thank you very much. And, you know, because I worked my way through school, driving taxi, cleaning grease traps in restaurants and God knows what kind of dirty jobs. I wasn't going to spend a year paying somebody to tell me some you know, core requirements, what English 100, seriously. I love that. So it's funny. So I had a conversation with my mom when I was a sophomore in college. I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to drop out of college. And she's like, why? And I'm like, cause I'm never going to have a job. I'm, I'm working. I'm going to be, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to work for myself. And I was kind of doing the same thing. I had three jobs in college the whole time I was there. Um, do you think that you always had that like entrepreneurial spirit inside of you? Was that just like something that like made sense for you early on? Um, I, I had made up my mind that I was never going to work nine to five or wear a suit. So <laughs> those are the two <laughs> things. That, so I wasn't going to get a job. Uh, I was always just going to do, do my own thing. And, uh, 
yeah, I, I guess that made me that makes me an entrepreneur, or it makes me a a bum. <laughs> I don't know yeah, which was, way that was going to go. <laughs> you know, you know, it was interesting with that, and I think like listeners who are younger may not appreciate what you just said. But like to say, I'm not going to wear a suit in 19 in the early 1980s. Like that was the. That, I mean, this is like there was 72. Sorry. Yeah, 70. Like. Yeah, so, yeah. Pardon me. Like this is nineteen seventy. So, 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 like seventies and eighties. Like, th- like there was no like jeans Friday. Like people wore suits to work back then. Like that was like the like the work from home. Like was the, when you didn't have a job, right? So, like to say to make that statement, it's a pretty bold statement, especially given like kind of that time. So, so did you end up like like uh, when you left? Uh, walk us through a little bit of that. You created the first RPG game. Ended up taking that to Japan because you followed your girlfriend. No, she I, end up... it was in Japan. I created it in Japan for a Japanese computer. Oh, I gotcha. was living okay. in Japan. Where, where were you living in Japan at that point? Um, so I uh, moved to Yokohama, which is where my wife was from. Um, so I lived in, in, uh, I lived in Japan for 18 years total. Six years was living in the boonies. I was working for my dad in the gemstone business, uh, developing new, new process for, for, enhancing gems by either cutting or by heat treatment or whatever. But anyway, I couldn't wait to get out of that business. So uh, my ticket out of that business was creating my own business. uh, And that was uh, making black onyx. And so, uh, and I, I appreciate the, the, the black onyx name with the gemstone, like, like, like pivot, right? So the first hundred people to finish the game to the end, I actually sent them a real black onyx. Oh, <laughs> I love that, man. So, yeah. w- so at that point, you know, video games, this is like the seventies and eighties. Like I, I, my parents, they moved my, my mom's American, but my dad's, uh, Iranian, I uh, was Iranian. And he, when he first moved to the U S out during right when the revolution happened, um, like he's like, Oh, we have, well, I'm going to start a business. And he's like, there's three businesses that he considered laundromat gas station and an arcade. Cause that was really, this is in 1981. This is like <laughs> brand new technology in the U S. So were you like feeling like, Oh, how like you're creating games. Obviously you're a big D and D guy, uh, which by the way, the new D and D movie for anyone that's interested, is pretty, pretty cool. I just watched it with my kids on Saturday, but, um, what, um, were you like, Oh, this is like a cutting edge thing I want to get involved with. What, what, what drew you to video games specifically? Well, okay, so so I've been a gamer pretty much all my life, and as you as you can tell by by minoring in dungeon, it means I quote unquote wasted a lot of time in college <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, so when when personal computers came out, first of all, I wanted to be a programmer. I wanted to make things with you know by using a computer. I had fallen in love with computers and computer program. They were so powerful. You know, it's like you create something. Once you've created it, it runs perfectly forever. You know, it's yeah. like if you, if, you, if you try to program a human being to do something, they're going to deviate from whatever it is that you decide to do because they've got a mind of their own and a computer does not. It has only your mind. And uh, so I, I went to Akihabara, which is the place where they um, uh, sell electronics in Japan. And I figured out which computer was number one or going to be number one. And I looked at all the different games because I, I thought I can make a game. I looked at all the games and there were no role-playing games. So I thought, wow. ah, I can do that. Little did I know that I only had 64K. <laughs> so I made, a, I made a role-playing game in 64K, complete wow. with 3D, complete with 30 monster graphics and, and people graphics. And they were all like little miniatures. Uh, so you could see everything that your player, your character 
bought. There was no even, there was no text inventory. It was all graphic. So I mean, I, I think the game was pretty revolutionary. I I invented bar graphs for life points, and then they wow. would get damaged, and uh, you know that that kind of thing. That's that's become standard in, in all role playing games, I think, or even other games. Um, but yeah, it was an adventure trying to fit all that in 64K. You know, my imagination, I was going to build this huge game. And, you know, I was thinking World of Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> and I only managed to get this much in. So I had to throw <laughs> out, like, character classes, maps, blah, you know. And, and the fact that I think the brilliance of it was that I, that I figured out the core of role playing. I mean, that's all that was left after I threw everything else out. And so I got people the whole thing about leveling up and going on adventures and danger and, you know, life points and monsters and being scared and like overcoming and becoming stronger. Yeah. You know, all the things that you that you get out of a role playing game, uh, those elements were all there. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here. And I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you. They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. That's so interesting. Like I, what, when you were just talking right now, like my brain went to like Joseph Campbell's hero's hero's journey, right? Like, like this hero's journey that, that we go on. And, and when I think of, you know, we're going to talk more about like the, the Tetris thing that happened with you, which is obviously massive and world changing. Like that's, that in of itself is a hero's journey. Were you drawn to like the Joseph Campbell hero's journey? Is that something that like has resonated for you for a long time? I, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the core of my being, I guess. Uh, I tell you an interesting detail about the game. Um, it, there, there was a karma counter, and the karma counter mm. is you go minus one if you attack a human or if you attack a monster that's weaker than you that's trying to run away. Because you know mm. everybody has a uh, saving role to see whether they're whether they want to fight or run, and you get one shot. Every time you take a shot at something that's running away minus one. Every time you attack a human, minus one. If your karma is not 100 at the end of the game, even though you go to the spot where the onyx is, you won't find the onyx. Then what you have to do is you have to go back into the game. And there's, you know, when you, when you have an encounter, it's attack, run, or talk. And that talk function really is kind of useless during the game. Uh, because why would you talk to monsters? But hey, you know what? At the end, when you talk to monsters or, or talk to people, plus one. So that's how you get your karma back is by going down. And it's like it's like preaching or, or repenting, you know, by going and talking yeah. to people. And that you do that talk 100 times. Then you go to uh, uh, upstairs and uh, find the onyx. And I didn't tell you this anywhere in the game. This You had to find this out you know, by talking to, I don't know, other people that played the game or reading about it in the magazine or something. Yeah. Uh, it was a secret. I love that, man. It's a cool little Easter egg. So, so fast forward, um, CES 88, um, it sounds like you did the game and then you decided to start really looking to bring like world, like going to CES, looking for games to bring them. Tell us a little bit about that. And I know like we're, I, I'm not going to dig in too much. I have some specific questions because I watched the movie and, and uh, not to give away the movie because I think the movie, everyone needs to see it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to go start licensing all these different games and bring it to, to Japan? What was the pivot there for you? Oh, well, I, st- I just started traveling around, around the world looking for games. I licensed two of the first four electronic arts games to give you an example. Uh, because wow. I, uh, I wasn't Japanese, uh, you know, the other game companies in Japan, if they wanted to, to uh, how can I say, license a game, they, their salespeople would have to go to the show, go back, and then they would have to talk to everybody in the company and come to some kind of group decision. I could make a decision on the spot and say, yeah. and, you know, I had a little spreadsheet worked out. So like, how much can I offer? How much can I make? And so on and so forth. So I, I, I could make deals on the fly. So I was much faster than the other companies. And the way it works at, at CES at that time is every company has, uh, has a series of monitors of all the products they're going to re- release in the next year to show distribution, to show the magazines, and so on. And uh, people would stand in lines behind each monitor to take a turn to play the game. And I, 
that's what I was doing so that, it, so that I could find out, do I want to license this game for Japan or not? Well, uh, when I found myself at the Tetris line for the fourth time, I realized I was hooked on this game. I wasn't just there like looking for the next game. I, wa- I wanted to play this game. And uh, yeah, that was how I got hooked on Tetris. And I, I knew at least we have one customer, me. <laughs> yeah. So, so a question on this, like, like, so the movie Tetris, um, when did, how did you get involved with that? This is a really the whole backstory on, on, on the Tetris, you know, movement that became a worldwide phenomenon. How did you get hooked up with that? Did they come to you? Did you decide that you wanted to do the movie? Like, I'd love to hear a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So, so BBC did a, a documentary back in the, I think somewhere around 2008, I don't remember the date, but it was pretty good. They um, they basically interviewed the whole cast of characters, including Belikov and Stein, and you know everybody that was in in the movie. And obviously, somebody saw that um, uh, saw that documentary and decided to to write a script for a movie. Uh, you know, they they thought, oh, this is going to be a movie, and uh, it took probably seven eight more years before somebody approached us and said, we'd like to make a movie. And from that point, it still took seven or eight years for it actually to become a movie. So it's it's been a long road. And for for yourself, like you know, I'm, did you think to yourself, man, one day they should make a movie on this and uh, on me? Like, was that something that was in the back of your mind ever, or, or was it something Never. that was a surprise for you? Never. No. <laughs> no I, I, you know the story. The story of me going to the Soviet Union was kind of crazy and and terrifying. There's at the very end of the movie during the credits, you can see some video I took. Okay, and I so I at that moment was thinking that I'm going on this adventure to the Soviet Union. There is no way I'm going to be able to describe all the stuff that's going to happen to me. So I'm bringing a, a video camera. And I'm I'm documenting some of this stuff so I could show my wife and my staff at the company. But that's all I was really thinking about. So you you see me talking to my interpreter. You see me interviewing Alexei Pajitnov, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I was a tourist at the same time, but pretending to be a tourist anyway. Right. So I have a question and, and, and you can decide to answer or not. I mean, most, most of the time, you know, Hollywood's job is to like tell a story that's entertaining and to, to, you know, make it where people want to like, you know, get engulfed in the story. A lot of times um, when we see these stories based on a real, you know, real life, there's some embellishment. It was this, was that story spot on or was there a, a fair amount of Hollywood doing their thing? There was a lot of Hollywood in there. They took a year and a half of my life and squeezed it into two hours. So, I mean, like, to explain a week's long of negotiation. And it's a complicated story. I'm writing the book, by the way. So, you know, oh, at some nice. point, everybody be able to read the, read the, what actually happened. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the point is that they, the, they turned the, they got the feeling right. And that's the important thing. Uh, and, and I worked on the script with Alexi. We both worked on the script and we, we tried to fix the script as much as we could, as much as we, as they would let us. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Hollywood in there. Okay. Well, I, I'm not going to tell the audience cause you got to see the, see the movie. I mean, Hollywood yeah, I'm or not, sorry, I can't, I, I'm not going to give away the movie. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're not going to give away the movie. And, and, and like my, my natural inclination is to ask a ton more questions, but I'm going to just say to the audience right now, 
it's a really entertaining movie. Like it's hard for me to get my kids to watch movies that are not animation based. And my nine year old was uh, like, first of all, you're going to love this, Hank. We watched the movie. He was like, this movie is so good, dad. And, and a lot of times I'll, I'll get guests on this show based on what my kids are interested in. Cause I'm hanging out with my kids. And uh, like we had one of the, the chefs from uh, Gordon Ramsay's show on and, and my son would come in and say hi. And he's like, dad, am I going to get to meet Hank? And I'm like, I think you got school, buddy. I'm sorry. So my son really wanted to meet you. Uh, he loved the <laughs> movie. You can still make that happen. All right. All right. We'll do. Well, I appreciate that very much. So my son Pablo is like, dad, I want to learn to p- play Tetris. So we, we download Tetris after the, after the game. I taught him how to play Tetris, but he loved the movie a lot. And I'm going to tell anyone who's listening, you got to watch the movie. It is it's a badass movie. It's super interesting. If you're if you're like myself, a kid of the '80s, even if you're not a kid of the '80s, it is a is a, it really kind of gives, I guess, to your point, a feeling of what was the zeitgeist in the world then around Soviet Union, around video games, especially right now. Video games are now you can be a professional video game athlete for Christ's sake. Back then, it was like a brand new thing, right? Uh, and, and so it, it's it really shows how big that was in the world then, and what's led to now essentially like everyone's a gamer now. Um, so got to check the movie out. But um, I, I had one question on that, which was, you know, you know, going back to it being a, you know, Hollywood story to a certain degree when, you know, when you look at, um, you know, there was a part in there that I picked up after the fact, it looked like the Maxwell family was involved, which ended up, is that accurate? Like Jazane, Jaz, so Jazane Maxwell, which is a massive story now, right? Like her dad and brother, did I get her yeah. name right? Maybe I messed her name yeah, up. Jelaine, Jelaine, I think is her name. Uh, Jelaine yeah. Maxwell's brother. So uh, when I was in Moscow, I was negotiating for the, the Game Boy rights. And uh, the reason I got on a plane is I, I'd heard from Arakawa that somebody else had offered him the Game Boy rights. I knew nobody else had the Game Boy rights. And I had hired Robert Stein to be my agent. And I knew he was going to be in Moscow. What I didn't know is that Kevin Maxwell was going to be in Moscow. I had no idea. And halfway through the week, Mr. Belikoff asks me, Mr. Rogers, why should we choose you instead of Kevin Maxwell? And I'm going, whoa, Kevin Maxwell is here? I had no idea. Uh, he was running Mirosoft uh, in, in England at the time. And uh, so I said, I said, Mr. Belikoff, uh, I don't have as much money as the Maxwell, so I'm not going to be able to give you, you know, a big, as big of an upfront guarantee uh, as they are, but I'll give you an honest share of the money. You know, all the, 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 the deals that he had with them before were, were percentage based. And what happened is you get a percentage of a percentage of a percentage because there's some mm. licensing. A percentage of a percentage is nothing. Right. It's, it goes down to zero very quickly. And I said, I'll give you 25 cents per unit for every copy of Game Boy Tetris sold in the world. And he said, how many do you think that's going to be? And I said, you know, conservatively like 30 million units, 30 million units, seven and a half million dollars. That rang a bell in his mind, you know? And, uh, and, and basically the idea that, that I was being completely open and the, the contract that I gave him, the best contract ever, I had to get a contract. I called my lawyer. It took eight hours to make a phone call at that time. Called my lawyer, said, I need a, I need a, co- a contract, 20 pages, no more, no big words. It's got to satisfy Nintendo 
it's got to be a fair contract because I don't have time to negotiate. So there's got to be stuff in it for Elorg and stuff in it for me. It's got to be fair. It, we have one shot at this. You got 24 hours. Here's a fax number. And then I, I had I made a friend in Moscow and she had a fax at her company, a Japanese company. And uh, I got that, the, that. That was the best contract ever, you know, fair no big words, uh, and, and we walked through the whole contract. They loved it. It was like, wow, it was amazing. And Elorg used that con- contract as basis for all of their future contracts. Wow. It was, you know, so good. So there you go. Um, I love that. That doesn't come through in the, in, the, in, the, in the movie, but yes, I was definitely there. And we were, you know, um, Belikov was going back and forth between me in a room and uh, Stein in another room and Kevin Maxwell in another room. We were all there in the same week. That's crazy. And so for anyone that, that hasn't seen the movie, Elorg is the government agency that was negotiating this deal because one of their employees, uh, Alexei, created Tetris. So you got to watch the movie to learn more about that. But is that correct? Yeah, Did so I get the, that? the way it worked in the Soviet Union is that um, ordinary citizens and even organizations weren't allowed to communicate outside the Soviet Union. Mm. All that communication had to go through trade agencies. And so when Alexei uh, started thinking about uh, uh, releasing Tetris outside the Soviet Union, he had to go and find this trade organization that was able to talk to people outside. And that's Elorg. Alexei wasn't working for Elorg. He was working for the Academy of Science, the Computer Center of the Academy of Sciences of the USSR. Yeah, they, 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 I think they, they probably switched that up in the movie, or they didn't tell uh, that part it, it's well It's not enough. exactly clear, but it's there. You, you have got to it, watch got the it. movie again. Yeah, I, I will. I love that movie. So, uh, amazing movie. Everyone's got to check it out. Um, and then from that, obviously, the world changed. Tetris went out in the world. The Game Boy blew that up, made it huge. Nintendo probably is what it is today, possibly because of this movement with, with that game and then some. Um, so... Tell us a little bit more. Like uh, you end up, you know, getting Tetris out in the world, doing a bunch of stuff with. I'm, I'm assuming that you continue to work with Nintendo, and you had said that you were working with those gentlemen. Tell us what happened after after the movie. When the movie ends, I'd love to hear what happens going forward from that point. Well, I kind of brushed through it, uh, rushed through it before, but you know, come end of 1995, all Tetris rights in the world come to an end because when uh, when we did the deal for console. Uh, we needed right of title going all the way back to the author. And so paperwork was created all the way back to Alexei Pajinov. And the paper that Alexei Pajinov signed was he assigned his rights to the game to the computer center for a period of 10 years, which started in 1985 and ended in 1995. Nobody thought that Tetris would be an issue after that. I mean, games just don't last that long. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Did you? Is it because they're like, oh, it'll be popular and then no one's going to care? Kind of like Jungle, uh, you know, Jungle Hunt or something like that. Like yeah, these yeah, Atari exactly. games that no one cares about anymore. Yeah, exactly. And so, so the licensing kind of burned off. And, and, and then 95, and, but it was still a big deal at the end of 1995. And, um, you know, uh, Sony had come into the world and with PlayStation. And up till then, Nintendo had a, an exclusive you know, for console and they kept Sony and Sega and everybody else out. And uh, so when, when Alexi and I formed our partnership, 
And then we went to bat. We ended up uh, fighting with Elorg because Elorg had copyrights and trademarks in 60 countries. Thank oh, wow. you, Nintendo. That was part of their deal with Nintendo was to, to register the copyright and trademark in 60 countries. And we would have had to fight in every country to, to claim our rights. Sure. And so rather, I mean, didn't have that, that kind of money. No. Uh, so basically what, I did, what we decided to do is make a deal with, a, with Elorg. And Elorg and Blue Planet Software, which is a company that I created in Hawaii just to be the partner, um, Elorg and Blue Planet Software formed the Tetris company as a 50-50 partnership. It lasted for, and, and I, was, I was the exclusive representative of the, because I, I was going to do the branding and the sales and the licensing, do all the work. Um, <clears throat> it kind of worked until 2002. They got greedy um, and uh, they wanted to, re- they wanted to just have a licensing agent instead of doing brand management, which, mm. you know, it's like Mickey Mouse and just licensing Mickey Mouse to anyone without having anyone making sure that it's actually a quality product. You know, that sure. was all what we did anyway. So we spent three years fighting. And at the end of three years, I was ready to sell my, my mobile phone game company. And Elorg wasn't going to agree to extending my license or we were in a big battle. Uh, so my, anyway, we decided to settle with Elorg. And, and by settling, I mean, I bought Elorg. Wow. So, so, so in, tell us about it. Did, did you have to raise money for that or was it just like, yes. a, a, okay, so, so did you go to like private equity? How did you raise the money to buy, you we bought a Lorg, which a, sounds we crazy. A, we went around to a bunch of private equity um, and raised the money. Um, and it was so, this is, a, this is another scene in a movie. I can tell you this right now. I'm sitting in Panama, round table, Belikov, myself, and we're waiting for the money to hit his bank account. Mm. And he's got the stack of all the contracts, the originals, and he's going he's, he's to hand them over to me. And wow. the reason it was Panama is because it's the only place that at that time a Russian could go on short notice that was a tax-free zone. It had to happen in a tax-free zone, the oh transaction. Gosh. So I flew to Panama. He flew to Panama. We're in the, in the middle of the Panama Canal. And, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, finalized the deal. And this is in O2. This is when this happened. No, this is in O5, O5, somewhere. Yeah. O5. And, and so, and so, uh, in O5, you end up buying Elor, Elorg and, and take us to, to like through, through the process, because it sounds to me like, okay, cool. Now you have what you need. Like Tetris is still this world worldwide phenomenon no one knows that the mobile phone is about to go from Nokia to Apple, which happens wait, in 07. Wait, wait. By that time, it was already a big deal. My company went from zero to, I don't know, $20 million revenue oh. in three years. Wow. So it's okay. at that Sorry. point, at that point that we're making, that I'm buying a Lorg. Gotcha. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. And I didn't mean to brush over that. So, so it's, this is a legit company. You buy a Lorg, you raise some capital. It's, it's 2005. And and the world's about to change because the you know we're on these pixelated flip phones and we're about to move over two years later into the iPhone era. Yeah. And so so you go you try to license the deal. They offer you twenty five k for it. That's in Tell 20, us what that's, happened. That's, 
2002, I get the, I get the, um, I get the offer of 25,000. I was oh, licensed gotcha. okay. all the way along. That's when I decided to create my own company. And we opened the doors on this company on April Fool's Day of 2002. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you opened April Fool's 2005. And then when did you end up exiting for the hundred million? Yeah. Um, three years later. Oh, wow. Okay. So that happens in 05. Sorry. Pardon me. I lost track, track of the story there. So 05, yeah. you end up selling. You, some guy offers you 25K. Three years later, he pays you 100 million for the exact same deal. That is absolutely amazing. So everyone makes out. Well, it, and, it, it, it's even better than that because the company that I sold uh, had a 15-year license to Tetris. They didn't own anything. Oh, my gosh. And so during this time... After the, selling the company, they paid me royalties for 15 years, and then I got the rights back. In 2020, you got the rights back? I got the rights back for mobile. Oh, my so gosh. So we do it again. So, did, so you guys, did you guys sell it again? You, you relicensed it? Is that, I'm again. assuming what this happened. This time, shorter periods. We just licensed it again. This time, we're not oh selling company, so... It's such a cool entrepreneurial story, man. I love that. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, man. I it's, built, it's, I built some. Deal. Nobody has a spreadsheet that goes past 10 years. <laughs> they can't think that far, Nobody man. Cares. Nobody cares. You know, they're going to make their money way before then. So giving right. them 15 years was, they, they never thought it was going to be an issue. And, and here, here's another funny part of the story. The, after, I don't know, after, $200 million of sales, the, the royalty rate goes up. Right. So I love that. So you had a step up in the royalty. That's amazing. They've done, they've done all of their marketing and whatever. It's a step up in the royalty. So again, it's something that nobody cares about after so many, they've made their money already. So the yeah. step up in the royalty is no big deal. It's like entrepreneur. I have a saying. It's a, I call entrepreneurial amnesia. This is when people forget about what happens in the beginning and they screw you on the deal later. This is the opposite of that. This is like they forget that they're going. This is going to be worth something later, and then they basically don't think far enough in advance. So, were you like, hey, hey, listen, Alexi, these guys, they don't think this is going to last fifteen years. So, we're going to take this thing back. Did you go in knowing you're like we're going to own this thing again in twenty twenty? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely. But Alexi is not a business guy. He basically leaves it up to me. You know, we shook hands uh, in 1993. We shook hands on a deal of how we're going to split up the money. And that deal still survives today. We've gone through different entities. He's become he's moved to the States, got his U.S. citizenship. You know, I I went from being a Hawaii company to being Delaware to being the Nevada, whatever. I've, I've moved companies and changed organizations and moved things around. And uh, that original handshake is still the same. And by the way, the contract, right. each time I, we, we have a new organization, my lawyer said, you know, Alexi needs a, 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 an attorney uh, to represent him in this, n- in this new structure. And I go to Alexi, Alexi, you need a, an attorney. And Alexi goes, Hank, if I get an attorney, your attorney is going to have my attorney for breakfast. I trust you. You take care of me. That's, you know, at, that's a much better deal than I can get through an attorney. And <laughs> I have to go back to my attorney and say, listen, this has got to be a fair deal. The original deal yeah. is the handshake in 1993. It's that, that handshake has to survive. And yeah. so uh, that's how it's always been. And Alexi and I are still best friends today. 
you know, uh, whenever we're in the same jurisdiction in the same city, every other day we're, it's a bottle of wine. And, uh, and we're not talking about Tetris, although we, we do talk from time to time, but you know, it's mostly friendship kind of conversation. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I love that, man. Sounds like an amazing partnership. So um, let's talk about the pivot moment. You said that you, you know, like your life changed pretty dramatically. Um, a heart attack happened. I'd love to hear about that. I think sometimes they say that like, life happens to you know to you or for you and this sounds like yeah. a life happens and for then, you moment and and i got to say you know that it was a wake up call you know what are you doing with your life and so um you know afterwards as i was in the recovery room i said like what did i mean by stuff it was obviously something i said at the moment that i was about to die so it must have been really important and then i i i thought forward i said okay what is it that's going to piss me off if I didn't do something about it when I'm actually dying in the future, say mm. 80, 90, whatever. And I searched for and found my bucket list. Um, I found my missions in life. Uh, I decided to have four missions because I have four kids. <laughs> nice. So I thought, oh, one mission for each kid. <clears throat> it's not yeah. actually working out that way, but <laughs> I have four <laughs> missions. <laughs> I love the, it. The first mission came to me in the back of the newspaper while I was still in the hospital. And it said, it said, oh, by the way, we're going to kill all the coral in the world by the end of the century. You know, I fell in love uh, uh, with the ocean when I moved from New York to Hawaii when I was 18. And I said, what's causing that? It's ocean acidification. What's causing that? It's carbon dioxide. It's like, you idiots. You know, what do you, well, you think it's okay for us to kill all the coral in the world? Uh, no, it's not. And so mission, yeah. number, <clears throat> mission number one is to end the use of carbon-based fuel. <clears throat> number two is to end war because I protested against the war while I was in high school. One, two, three, four. We don't want your blanking war. I don't know if I'm allowed to use the F word on. Uh, you, you, you are actually it's 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 a favorite on our show, but but so don't worry about it. Okay. One, two, <laughs> three, four. Watching, uh, we don't want your fucking war. That's there you go. There that's you go. what we were protesting in in uh, in, in high school because we're 17. They're going to send us to 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 Vietnam the next year. Yeah. And uh, so we stopped the war in Vietnam. I've, and I, I really believe that young people have the, the, the power to really change the future like we changed the future at that time. Yeah. So that's number two. Number three is to make a backup of life by going to other planets. I'm, uh, you know, I moon, Mars, uh, other planets in other solar systems. Uh, that's where we need to go. It's, it's like the next step. Mother Nature has never had a baby we are the way that mother nature has a baby by going to another planet, starting life as we know it. And so it's the reason humans exist. And it's probably the reason that she's letting us trash this planet is so that we feel like we might have to go somewhere else. And then the the last one, and the last one is there just to make the other one seem easy is to figure out how the universe ends and do something about it. Wow. That's amazing. Those Those are my four missions. I spend most of my time on number one and I spend some time on number three and almost no time on 
two and, and four. So the number number one, um, so I started a foundation in Hawaii called the Blue Planet Foundation, <clears throat> working to end the use of carbon-based fuel in Hawaii. We did all kinds of things, <clears throat> helped the solar industry. <clears throat> we helped the solar industry, um, wind. Um, but our biggest, our biggest claim to fame is we got Hawaii to pass a mandate of 100% renewable energy by 2045. Nice. So Hawaii went from it's impossible to we are definitely going to do this. And uh, six months later, after we passed the mandate, the, the electric company who fought us tooth and nail, their lobbyists versus our lobbyists in the legislature, the, the electric company came out and said, yeah, we figured it out. We can actually do this by 2040. And more recently, we changed the business model of the utility so they make more money by switching to renewables. Guess who's our best friend now? The, the energy company, and, I'm guessing. And, yeah. you know, our, our 2030 goal was 40% renewable energy. We have already hit our 2030 goal today. Wow. So what, 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 what percentage was that again? What, say that percentage 40%, one more time. 40%. We are at 40% today. Wow. So we that's, for the whole sta- that's for the entire state of Hawaii? For the entire state of Hawaii. Wow. Not only that, not only that, but 22 other states have now have similar legislation to ours, 100% by, some, by such and such a date. And uh, so it's moved. The domino effect has happened. You know, after Hawaii, California copied us two years later and, and so on. It's been moving across the country, but it hasn't been moving across the world. And so I started the Blue Planet Alliance to get that same movement going across the world. So we're flipping islands now. Last year we did uh, Palau, Tonga, Tuvalu, and this year we're going to do a whole bunch more. Basically, that wave is going to pass through the islands and go onto the country. Uh, Panama has recently asked us, uh, "Can we join?" I said, "Sure, of course you can." That's amazing. I have a question for you because you just, you know, what you just said. I was just thinking back to. Well, I have two questions for you. So, quick question: How old were you when you had the heart attack? Fifty-two. 52 so super young have the heart attack decide to go after the four these four uh, areas of your life based on the, your four children found the 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 blue planet foundation and what i heard you say which struck me was and i wrote this down just now that that you're not afraid to challenge the impossible and 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 i'm curious like when you start to think of your, I mean, have you always been like that? Or has it been something where you've seen these impossible things become possible and you know that, hey, I just have to go out there and make it happen? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, you know, impossible is is a ridiculous word. You know, impossible, uh, you know, like (laughs) there's so many things that are impossible, like, you know, doing something about the end of the universe. That's probably impossible. Okay, maybe, but it's impossible. But everything else is just a matter of time. So when, when people say that's impossible, you know, I was on a panel uh, and this is like right around the time that I passed the mandate. And I said, we're going to go 100 percent renewable energy in Hawaii by 2045. The guy next to me says, I'm a researcher at the University of Hawaii. What you're saying is impossible. It's impossible mm-hmm. for us to go 100 percent by 2045. And I, I got the mic and I said, well, I'm not as smart as this guy, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I love it. 
And we are. We are totally doing it anyway. So whenever you get an quote-unquote expert telling you that something is impossible, it just means that it's very difficult. It doesn't mean that it's impossible. So the word impossible is being used in the wrong way. It's just very difficult. And if it's very difficult, then it's just, it means it's doable. We just have to get our act together and do it. I love that, man. So another thing you said that that really struck me is, you know, Char- I'm a big Charlie Munger fan. And he, he says, you know, you show me people's incentives, I'll show you the, I'll show you their behavior and outcomes. And you, in what you, you, you mentioned that you guys really changed the framework of incentives for the powers that be like, tell me a little bit about that because once their incentives change, now they're your best friend before that you're basically taking money out of their pocket. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, money makes the world go round. And if we want to make change the incentives, by the way, I'm a conscious capitalist, so everything you're saying, like I'm all in on this stuff, but I'm a, but but I am a, also a capitalist in the sense of I understand that you need to adjust incentives. I can't just go and say, hey, I'm going to disincentivize you. You better change. Now that's going to create friction. If we want the the people that have power to change their behavior, we need to change their incentives. Tell us a little bit about how you did that. Well, okay, how how we did it? <laughs> of course, you know, if we find a way for the utility to make more money, they're going to help us. They're not going to fight us on that. Are you know? Are you so so? If you can just show them that they can make more money by switching to renewables, here, here's the thing. I mean, the, the calculation is fairly simple. So in Hawaii, um, the utility spends 25 cents per kilowatt hour for oil-based electricity. 25 cents per kilowatt hour. <clears throat> renewables, when they do a PP, a power purchase agreement, PPA. Uh, Wind and solar come in at eight cents, mm-hmm. and if you add storage, it got, it's up to up to twelve cents. That's still half the cost of oil-based electricity. So if we and they and their old business model was ten percent on the price of oil, that's two and a half cents. So if we say, okay, you can make three cents on the mm. price of renewables, that is a serious amount of money for them. Yeah. And so that's a huge motivator. And, and here's the deal. Here's the craziness of the world right now. We subsidize fossil fuel to the tune of $7 trillion a year. $7 trillion. Okay. Wow. And so renewable energy has to fight with fossil fuel that's being subsidized to the tune of $7 trillion. What if they give renewable energy $7 trillion to match the subsidies that they give the fossil fuel? That would, first of all, create a level playing field. And then it would be completely obvious that renewable energy is much cheaper. In Texas, the Texas utility buys wind for less than $0.02 per kilowatt hour. I mean, and then geothermal, same thing. I mean, these... There's so many energy sources that are out there that are so cheap, and it's just the the juggernaut of uh, of the way things are that's stopping us from switching over. And if we start thinking, hey, you know what? I would like to incentivize the renewable energy in- industry because it's affecting climate change, and the amount of money that we're going to have to spend to mitigate the effects of climate change, we're going to have to move every major city that's near the ocean 
in the next 100 years. Because if we melt Greenland, that's 30 feet of sea level rise. Yeah. And we're doing our best to, to melt Greenland. So, I mean, like, you know, this is the problem. People don't think past 10 years. You know, when I talk to old people, they, they say, this is not my problem. I'm going to be dead by the time this happens. Hey, what about your kids? What about your grandkids? What is wrong with you? You don't care about them? Don't they mean anything to you? This is, this is just the way people think, and this, it's a lot of their minds. They can only think about themselves. They cannot think outside their own lifetime. And, and this is, you know, this is going to affect our children, and they are going, they're going to be, they should get pissed off right now, and they should make us change. That's how we stopped smoking, by the way. Our kids told us, we don't want you to die of, of lung cancer. Quit smoking. That's the only way it worked. All that advertising on TV never worked. It was kids that told us to stop smoking. Yeah. So kids have to tell us to stop producing carbon dioxide. That's all there is to it. And we need to listen to them. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to what we said before is, you know, challenging the impossible and you're doing it with, with, with all the work you're doing with Blue Planet Alliance, the Blue Planet Foundation. I appreciate that work so much. And, and I, I, and just taking to heart that, you know, that, big changes can happen. Your, your life is a, is a representation of that. Just the things that you've done. And I'd love to see how we, we, I'm a younger guy, you know, I'm in my forties. How can I, you know, make that. So when you look at, you know, trying to make this big, big paradigm shift, I know it starts with us as individuals and I know we're nearing the end of the show. So I want to respect your time. So I have two questions, but I want to ask quickly on this one. And then I'm going to get to our greatness question. You know, I, again, show, show me your incentives. I'll show you your outcomes. How do we, how do, what's, what's, what's something every listener can do after they get off this show where they can go and start to affect the change that you're talking about? Um, you know, p- people ask after I speak, they ask me, so what can I do? And, and my answer is always, I don't know what you can do. You are you, I am me. I can get up here on stage and, and, and try to convince you to do something, but you have to figure out what you can do and do that and start small. Don't don't think of trying to do something big. The problem is really huge. But if everybody starts small, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, as long as you're doing something, figure out figure out what it is. The, the vision of the Blue Planet Alliance is to create a world in which humanity and nature live in harmony. What can you do to move the ball in that direction? Small things. I live in New York now. I don't drive a car. I ride a bicycle and walk unless it's pouring rain. So, I mean, what is the change in, I don't eat beef. Uh, I pick up rubbish when I see it lying around and put it in the rubbish can. That's a Hawaii way of saying garbage. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, you you can think of these things. Turn off light switches in room when there's no people there. You know, I, whenever I leave my apartment, I turn off all the light switches. Why do they need to be on? Uh, you, I, I'm, I, I see office buildings with the lights on. It just means nobody gives a shit. They should yeah. all be off. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I think you're right. You know, like it starts with you, and, and even the little stuff. And in our family, we're, we're, you know, we're conscious of it. And to your point, like listeners need to be conscious of, hey, like we compost. Like, do, like what is it? That's one extra step. Like, okay, that goes in trash. That's plastic. And we try to not use plastic 
and that's an apple core. Throw it in the compost. Something minor. My kids know how to compost. My kids are little kids. Like, and people, I go and I see people mixing stuff together. I'm like, guys, like this is like you're literally creating landfill, which is a problem. You know, it's our behavior that caused this, and it's our behavior that's going to fix this. Yeah. Appreciate that so much, Hank. Well, I, look, I want to respect your time. We always like to end the show here with two things. First of all, our greatness question, and then we'd love to connect uh, people with ways to help support the different things you're working on. So we're going to go to the greatness question. And um, for listeners new to the show, we love ending on this. And I'm going to ask you right now, what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you have overcome in your life? And how did you overcome it? Um, so my, my biggest problem was uh, public speaking. I was terrified. I was t- terrified of speaking to a class of, of uh, elementary school kids, for Christ's sake. So what are they going to think of me? You know? And uh, how I overcame that is I made a decision. Uh, if somebody asks me to speak somewhere, I will until I'm over it. And I did. And so every time anybody asked me to speak anywhere, I spoke and the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. And now it's like second nature to me. I've done two commencements at universities. So I'm no longer afraid of public speaking. And if I'm going to change the world, I'm going to have to be able to speak to larger and larger audiences. I love that, man. Facing your fears to change the world. It's whatever it is. It's just Tiger Woods. He's like, what's the worst part of your game? Focus on that until it becomes the best part of your game. Yeah, I love that, man. Oh, Hank, what, what, a, what an amazing hour plus of my time. I, I really appreciate all the work that you have done and continue to do in the world. Um, I'd love for you to, you know, for anyone that wants to you know, see the movie or support the foundation or the Alliance, what are some ways that they can learn more about the work you're doing or connect with you and your team? Blueplanetalliance.com. All right. You guys heard it from Hank, blueplanetalliance.com. Go see the movie Tetris. It's on Apple Plus. It would be the best two hours of your day. Uh, outside of maybe hug, hugging your kids or saving the planet. Um, with that said, Hank, so much gratitude from us here at The Greatness Machine. Appreciate everything you're doing, man. This has been one of the my favorite hours I've probably spent on the show, and appreciate you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, listen, audience, leaders, we're sharers, we're givers. you got to share this. I mean, the first part of this show is just a, such a great entrepreneurial story. That the last part of the show is a message everyone needs to hear. They need to work on it's our, our kids' lives, our lives are at stake here. With that said, we're all about creating greatness, and we got to be on a, a planet that could sustain it or another planet, one or the other, to make it happen. Until next time, peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. 
And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.